0: Hey everyone. You know, for leaders, it can be a little scary. When we feel that we're supposed to have all the answers and that, you know, people are looking at us to be this vessel of knowledge. I just want to encourage everyone here nobody has all the answers. The person on the left or the person on the right, they might know a little bit more, a little bit less than you, but nobody knows it all. And if we as leaders are walking into situations and trying to hide that, then we're not being vulnerable with people. And being vulnerable with people is good leadership. Now, vulnerable isn't about telling people all of your personal stuff and creating uncomfortable situations. But being vulnerable is definitely letting people know that you don't know it all. And in fact, that you've got to grow and learn just as much as anyone else because that's what we do as professionals. So as leaders, it's healthy to demonstrate that we have a willingness to learn while we're leading and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Today's conversation is cool because it's with a leader who's totally willing to challenge himself and I've seen him do it time and time again so there's a lot of great stuff to learn. My name is Aram Arslanian and this is One Step Beyond. everyone, welcome back to One Step Beyond. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and today we are in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia. For our episode today, which is learning while leading, we're going to be joined by Mike Rolla. Mike is a fantastic leader who I've known for a long time, and I've seen him live the value of learning while leading. So, Mike, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today, so appreciate you.
0: Absolutely. All right. So, what I'd love to do for our listeners here is I'd like to hear a little bit about yourself. So your career, uh, how you got here, what you do today, and really how have you worked yourself into the role that you're in?
1: Sure. Um, so I work for Becton Dickinson. I'm one of the uh, many U.S. heads of sales they have for you know the various medical devices uh, that we sell, and I've been with the the company. For 16 years, it uh, started out as a company called C.R. Bard, and it's now, Beckton Dickinson acquired us about two years ago. Um, I'm really fortunate in a sense that I've held probably six or seven roles across that 16-year career. Um, and, uh, right now I lead the U S commercial team for the critical care division, uh, which is, you know, roughly 92 people between sales and clinical, um, and I'm over the, uh, the sales team directly.
0: Okay. Awesome. So for the audience who wouldn't know, um, when we talk about critical care, that could sound, that could be a lot of different things. So really specifically, what does your group focus on in terms of sales? Yeah, absolutely. We have uh, really two main areas. There's critical
1: care, which is, you know, patient monitoring. Um, and we're focused primarily in the urology space, bladder drainage. So, um, you know, postoperatively, things that are used in the ICU for either of those things, monitoring or bladder drainage.
0: Okay, cool. Really cool. So tell us about yourself. Like,
1: where did you grow up? I'm originally from uh, Queens, New York, and uh, spent the first 31 years of life uh, in the New York area before moving down here to Atlanta.
0: Okay, when you were a kid, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a veterinarian. Uh, no. <laughs> right on. Yeah. So, how did you get to here? Like, how did you go start going down this path? Uh, this, the path of medical device leadership, what's the path?
1: You choose. Um, well, I think I found out early on, in my college career, that I had an affinity for sales. So, mm-hmm. both of the internships that I had had during my college career were related to selling. One was for a copier company. Actually, both were for copier companies now that I think about it. So, um, you know, with that, I knew that I was going to move towards. Hopefully move towards a sales career.
0: Okay. So by the time you got to college, had you already said, well, you know, I'm not going to follow the dream of being a veterinarian. It lasted a whole semester and a (laughs)
1: half, and then I had to shift drastically towards getting the business core in order.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. So what was it that you learned about yourself in these roles that told you you were good at sales? Um... Learning, you know, it was, it was something
1: that I, I don't think
0: I learned about at the time. I just learned that, you
1: know, there was a great entrepreneurial spirit to go out and, you know, earn and run your day. And you you were kind of living this alternative life to the nine to five punch in, punch out. And it was really appealing to me, you know, going back to my late teen, early 20s. Yeah.
0: Uh, which this totally relates to what I know about you as a person. So not just as a professional, but just as a, someone that I've come to know, because you're really, um, if someone was to meet you professionally, you're a really strong professional. You're very thoughtful. You present yourself in, a, in just a really healthy, positive way, and they get to know you a little bit. And you've got all this depth. Like you're really into music. Um, you've got like a really cool career path. So tell us a little bit about music and what you're into. Oh uh, well, uh,
1: definitely a, a factor of when I grew up. But I'm I'm big into the you know the '90s uh, grunge. You know. Um, about a stigmatizer, you can get all the bands that kind of define that time, so um but also growing up you know New York, I have uh, an affinity for you know Billy Joel and things that are just kind of off the radar of that so there's no you can't draw a line and connect any of the two bands that mm-hmm. I like there's just they they're all over the place.
0: What were you listening to on the way here? I was
1: listening to the uh, Scott Wyland Christmas album, <laughs> which is just it's mind blowing because of the respect and admiration I have for Scott Weiland, but it's actually a really bad Christmas album. It's just, it's not, it's not a good Christmas album. It doesn't stand up,
0: but you do listen to it. I, I do re- listen to it religiously. Yeah. yeah. So again, you're this real interesting mix because you're a really, really good professional and you kind of have this, a little bit of a, a punk attitude about doing stuff. Like you like to run your own day. You want to do your own thing. Like sure. You want to forge your own path. So you find sales, and you, you realize that works with who you are, with how you think. So from the internships, what came next?
1: Uh, well, I graduated, and then I uh, did begin a career in sales. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started out selling cameras for Canon, uh, which was, you know, sounds easier than it is. But uh, I was procuring uh, these cameras to internet vendors back in the late 90s, which was, you know, right about the time that the dot-com boom was still going. Mm-hmm. So I had a chance to go and, and sell to some pretty unique Uh, companies, most of whom are out of business currently. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it taught me a lot about um, working for a large organization, but still being
0: frontline sales. Yeah. Okay. So you do that. When was your first leadership role in a sales organization?
1: That occurred with, uh, you know, Bard, now BD. And Uh that happened in 2008. I was promoted to uh, the head of training and development, what we call our national sales trainer. And you're, you're solely responsible for the onboarding of new hires, and uh, as well as the training of the existing sales
0: force. Okay, so you get into that role. Mm-hmm. What was the first tough lesson that you learned about you and your leadership style?
1: Um, I think that my communication was nowhere near as clear or as succinct as I thought it was. You know, you, you never you never sound like you do in your own head, but when you start to see some a sea of blank faces staring back at you, it becomes quickly very painful that you need to make some changes and you need to really work on how you're teaching others to communicate. Um, if you think about it, you're, you're, you're given this responsibility to teach people who have never sold before how to sell in the, in the hospital space mm-hmm. and you have no margin for error to make them overtalk or over talk to them. And I really had to learn a lot about how to shorten my own communication.
0: Okay. So I, I think this is a good place for us to start touching on the theme. So learning while leading, mm-hmm. because it sounds like in that moment. Up into this point, of course, you've been learning. Anyone in a role, even if you've been in a role for a long time, you've got space to learn. But there's a kind of vulnerability that comes when you're a leader that you're expected to teach people, mentor people, coach people. But you actually might not know the thing that you're trying to, to teach, mentor, or coach them or direct them on as well as you would like to know. But you still got to do it. So I would love to hear from you just your, your general thoughts, your philosophy on really what does it take to be learning? and leading at the same time?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think it starts with your attitude and the need to have an open attitude is what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, if your job relies on you projecting this image where you have to know all the answers and you have to be the uh, the end all resource for people, you're never going to really have an attitude that makes you approachable and makes you able to learn from those around you. So it starts with having a more open attitude than I think most leaders really ever get to because
0: Mm -hmm. of the nature of their role. Okay. So that vulnerability that you're talking about, that ability to not be like, oh, I know, I know everything. And so you should just listen to me because. Mm -hmm. Were you good at that right off the bat in your first leadership role? Or is it something that you've developed over time?
1: No, I was terrible at it. And I think, (laughs) I think it's, it's the nature of the beast a little bit is that, you know, new leaders. When you're first promoted, you want to be heard and okay. you, and you, you crave it and you say, I, I need to be heard. It's part of why I'm here. Yeah. And it's, it's actually fostering this, this bad behavior because it, it doesn't
0: teach you how to listen early on. Okay. So like, what does some of that bad behavior look like from your experience, like either that you see in your previous roles or that you've seen in other uh, leaders where they're, they haven't really mastered how to learn while they're also leading?
1: Yeah. I, I think ultimately you rely on communicating To your employees the same way you might have communicated to your customers or to you know just a one person where you know you need to make your message uh, resonate with a broader audience and Uh people you know it sounds cliche to say make your message resonate with a broader audience but people really don't understand what that means to simplify their communication Uh and it's a you know it's a it's it's a career's worth of work that gets you to where you have to be able to do that in a quick
0: way. So if you look back at that first role specifically, what were the behaviors that you had that were indicating? Hey, I'm not I'm not comfortable really showing that I'm still learning while I'm leading.
1: Yeah, for me specifically, there's a couple right, and you know they're all based on on self doubt. You know, one it's the need to try to be funny, mm-hmm. right? And you know that's just uh, that's a way of distracting from the fact that you may not actually either know what you want to say or how you want to say it. Yeah. And I think uh, you know it's a crutch, you know, plain and simple, right? So, and the second thing is just how you deliver a message. You know, you start out giving information and the tendency is you have to defend why you're giving it. Right. right. Let me yeah. explain to you why this is the way it is, or let me do this. And, you know, when you're in a position of leadership, it's not about you needing to defend what you're about to say. It's about you coming right out and saying it in the best way. Okay, And cool. um, it's exceptionally hard to do when
0: you start out. Yeah, so you, you saw yourself, or when you look back, you see that you were doing that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Okay, so from your experience, and, and I know um, your career's really been focused in the sales world, if you would just take a take a shot at this, do you think that a leader's, need to present themselves a certain way, like really knowing their stuff and a little bit more um, overtly confident. Is that more pronounced in the sales world than anywhere else? Or do you think it's the same across uh, all industries?
1: Um, You know, growing up in the sales world, I would say that it is a, you know, a definite stigma that shows up um, multiple places, right? Sales leaders are always thought of as the most vocally strong, um, very assertive, you know, kind of a powerful personality, right? So I think that I've I've seen that show up more often than not.
0: Okay, yeah. So follow-up question that I have for you here is, if you think around your path from leadership role to more senior leadership roles to where you are today, where does ego management come in?
1: It comes in in a couple of ways. I mean, when you're looking to deliver a message, there has to be an element of vulnerability. And uh, you get there because... You get there because you need to relate to your audience, right? So, um, no one's going to relate to the person that can do it all, you know, no one's going to relate to the person that's telling them to do it all. So you have to figure out where can I be vulnerable? That's going to inspire someone to change or think differently about what they're going to do as Mm -hmm. a part of my team.
0: All right. So where have you been vulnerable?
1: I think, uh, in, in lots of ways, probably, and probably not enough is what I would say. And, you know, I, I don't think I have been vulnerable enough. And I think a lot of leaders fall guilty to that, um, one of the areas where I think I'm particularly vulnerable is that of distraction. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, we're in a world where the distraction increases by the day, maybe by the hour. And um, I think, you know, if I looked at myself, I, I could do a significantly
0: better job of managing my own distractions. Okay. Tell me about that. Tell me about distraction and and how you've been learning how to manage that. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Really it, it
0: comes down to
1: understanding the psychology a little bit. Um, And I'd, Read an excellent book. Um, it's called Indistractable. Ironically enough, <laughs> yeah. by um, by Near uh, Isle is the name of the author. And uh, really, the you know the book kind of guides you through the psychology of first to understand distraction. You have to move away from the belief that distraction can only come from external sources. Right? The internet, um, whatever's going on in your life, uh, traffic. I don't know. You know, those are, these are distractions. So we're geared to believe that distractions only come from external sources. Well your response to distraction actually comes from a internal driver mm-hmm. whether it's isolation being uncomfortable being overwhelmed these are the things that drive what distracts us personally
0: yeah so for you specifically what distracts you yes for
1: me um i tend to get overwhelmed uh, it's the nature of what i do um it's also the nature of my personality unfortunately i tend to get i tend to get pretty overwhelmed um so when I get overwhelmed, I actually will. One, I'll worry a little bit too much about what others are doing, and I think that's an initial coping mechanism that a lot of leaders have. Is you know they'll deflect and they'll say, "Well, you know, we're we're overwhelmed because not all the functions I have are pulling at the same speed or the same way." Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I do. Mm. Um, and then two, when I get overwhelmed, um, what I've learned in addition, you know, this this book's guided me, and then and then talking it through a great deal. Mm. What I've learned is uh, when I get overwhelmed, I actually project myself forward into the future and I start filling up my day, my calendar, my days with other things to try to make sure that I never get to the point of being overwhelmed again. So it's a defense mechanism that actually reloads my distraction. (laughs) So it's really one of these things that like, as you learn it, you're like, this is, this is a bad idea. (laughs) I got to, I got to learn how to master this.
0: So as you've been reading through this book and you've been processing what you've learned, Sounds like, you know, part of your processing has been talking it through with people, um, you know, working with your team on it, bringing these ideas forward. But specific to you, what kind of change are you affecting in yourself through what you're learning? The ability to connect with
1: my audience, whether it's, you know, the person I'm speaking to, a large group of people or, you know, my own boss. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to do a better job of, you know, communicating. So it it starts there with being vulnerable. Also. I think just recognizing that your ability to cope with distractions, a skill set like anything else that's going to determine how successful you'll be as a leader. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having that light bulb go off
0: for me uh, was powerful. Okay. So something really cool that I was able to witness was when we were at the national sales meeting this year together and you brought this topic to your team. So you're up on the big stage and you literally demonstrated your willingness to say, hey, I'm learning this. And I'm, I'm your leader, but I'm still learning. And I actually want us to learn this together. Can you tell us a little bit about what you, um, well, how you brought that to the team and what you walked them through at that session? And then also how you're keeping it alive since then.
1: Sure. So at the national sales meeting, we look to tackle the topic of becoming indistractable, which sounds like a, you know, a very idealistic goal. Right. I'm going to become, uh, you know, indistractable. Um, really it boils down to raising your self-awareness and, um, it starts out with saying, okay, one, what's your biggest challenge with distraction? And inevitably people give you external distractions, right? They Mm. say it's, um, I can't get, you know, the product in time or I can't do something tactical within my world. And when you boil it down, it's, you have to understand what is your personal challenge with distraction, And if you overcame that personal challenge with distraction, where could you be? Mm -hmm. So I started out issuing that challenge to my team at the national sales meeting.
0: What was cool, though, is that you're up on stage and it was real. So I see a lot of leaders get up on stage and be like, we're going to be this this year. We're going to be that. And everyone's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, they all clap. And it's cool. And it's fine. When you got up on stage, it was a hush because you weren't just like fist pumping and yelling this or that. You were saying like, hey. I get distracted, and you had this really vulnerable moment where you're talking about what you get distracted by and how it plays out. It takes a lot of guts to get up on a stage, um, a leader of your level with your experience, in front of people who are early career, mid career, late career, and actually say that, and then also lead them through this tough exercise. So, what was that like for you? I think it was a it was
1: a little scary for sure. Um, you know, and one of the things that I I learned in doing that is that. The relatability of what I said was because your self doubt is always there, right? So I started out letting everyone know my challenge with distraction, mm-hmm. and that it was more than an external driver, and that I had to own it. You know, it. it uh, my challenge was worrying too much about what others do when I'm overwhelmed, yeah. and uh, oftentimes it leads me to be a much crappier version of myself <laughs> and, a, and a and a poor, a much poorer leader. So I think that sharing that, mm-hmm. you know, showed that everyone has self-doubt and it got
0: people's minds opened up to learning why this is an important topic. Yeah. And you took them through a whole session and it was like dead quiet in the room. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I've been to a lot of sales meetings and, um, you know, sales meetings can be pretty you know jovial or they can be pretty grim. But they'd say the overall thing is there is usually like a lot of like fist bumping, like we're going to kill it this year. We're going to do this thing. And you really took a different approach. You're like, hey, let's talk about something real. And this real thing for me is like, here's where I'm vulnerable. And I'm I'm trying to learn this. I want you to learn it with me. So what kind of feedback did you get from that session, from, from the, the people that watched it?
1: The feedback was great. I think um, people were challenged with trying to understand how they could get to the level of awareness that I presented. And I kind of had to you know, come clean and say, look, uh, I didn't conjure this up yesterday. This is like months of work and my own self-awareness that needed to get here. Um, but people were, people were kind of, instead of being in awe of a number or an accomplishment, they were in awe
0: of the self-awareness component. And I think that that, that alone was inspiring. Yeah. That to me is demonstrating learning while leading. Like it's that sense of saying, hey, you know, we've done great and and we need to celebrate those things. And here, this is what I'm working on. You know, I've got to learn. I've got to grow. A lot of people talk the talk on this, but not everyone walks the walk. And again, it sounds like throughout your career, you've always focused on learning, but it the, you're in a chapter of your career now where you want to demonstrate outwardly more that you're on that path. Can you tell me about like, how you started getting into that space with yourself where you became more comfortable demonstrating like hey i'm still learning
1: yeah it's t- it's really two things you know one 16 years in the paranoia that i approach any stage presentation any conversation anything really is am i being judged by who they see in front of me or by the 15 years beforehand wow yeah you know and i think about that every day mm-hmm. and uh some days I don't do very much about it. Some days I, I do, you know, I want to make a change. And I think that that's what led to the start of how to approach a
0: topic like this in a different way. Yeah. Because a lot of people can talk about this stuff and enroll and with it. Let's go. Like, oh, I'm learning. I have really noticed and witnessed and seen that you're willing to make yourself very uncomfortable to learn more and that you're also willing to share that with others. You know, you're, you're willing to put it out there like, Hey, I had to like put myself in a tougher space, get feedback, really look in the mirror and not just do that, but then actually take the steps to change that. So it sounds like, again, this is something you've grown towards. You've evolved towards in your leadership. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that process as well.
1: Definitely. Um, not only do you make the statement, do you show vulnerability and you, you try to create, you know, a way to relate to your audience, but then you have to show them that, like, hey, I'm still uncomfortable with this, right? Even a month out from the NSM in this instance or whatever it's going to be. You know, now, okay, great. So I presented this problem, this vulnerability. Well, now I'm even more exposed. Yeah. yeah. So if I do nothing to fix it a month later, a year later at next year's national sales meeting, I've actually painted a bigger bullseye on my back because, <laughs> like, well, great job not fixing that, Mike. You know? Yeah. So I think, um, the way that i've dealt with it is to make sure i kind of know what i want to do next in making sure that the learning of my team happens, you know, at the same time as my own learning.
0: That's cool, man. That's a hard hard path to walk. So it's not just talking about it, it's not just being vulnerable because again, like almost anyone can get up and say some vulnerable thing. Sure. And sometimes we don't want people to do that. It's like, "Oh, that's too much." Right. You know, you you did this really cool thing in front of a lot of people. And you've been walking it. So can you tell us what you've been doing since then to learn with people as you're also leading them on this specific topic? Like, how are you working with the team to keep pushing down this path?
1: Yeah. So since the national sales meeting where we introduced this concept, the main thing we did was challenge people to take accountability that distraction comes from something somewhere within. Mm -hmm. And I think we accomplished that. Now, you have to understand the feeling. Why? are you uncomfortable or what makes you uncomfortable that forces you into distraction. When you're checking LinkedIn or Facebook or social media habitually, there's an element of isolation that drives you to do that. Now you may not be aware of it, it doesn't mean you're a lonely person, you just feel isolated at that period of time and you're chronically doing something, right? Or you're stressed out, you're overwhelmed, you don't know where to go and then you do something else or you're terribly confused and you go to that. So usually it's it's isolation, confusion, being overwhelmed, So now guiding them to that, guiding them to learn which of those feelings it is that makes them uh, uncomfortable, that leads to the behavior of, you know, being distracted all the time. That really is what I think is the next step. Um, And then the step beyond it is working on a fix together.
0: Yeah. yeah, Okay. That's cool. And uh, just to be clear for everyone in the audience, this is an ongoing thing. So, uh, and I want to hit on this, like how you're doing this, how you're conducting this learning. Cause as Mike said earlier, uh, Indistractable is an idea that someone else came up with, that an author came up with, it was a book that Mike read, and he's been implementing this learning. So he's showing like, hey, I'm learning myself. Let's all do this together. The cool thing is you're actually doing this with a pretty significantly geographically dispersed team and you're maintaining a cadence of getting it done while actually also running a business and everyone's going out and doing sales and doing these things. So what's the exact process you're doing here that is keeping this learning going while also not actually distracting people from their jobs as well mm-hmm. great question i you know one it's about
1: only you know doing one thing at a time which is so cliche but it literally the only objective that we're working on right now is kind of what i described to you a minute ago identify the feeling we've identified the challenge now it's identify the feeling right mm-hmm. the next thing will be to do it actually through you know my managers and my team so i can't I can't impact 100 people one-on-one remotely with only you know, seeing them every year on a stage. Yeah. So how do I get my management team, people I work with, to believe it? And really, it's by showing them the power of using this as a coaching tool. Um, one of the things I believe in strongly is you, know, you respect others by respecting their time. And there's no better way to show a commitment to how
0: much you respect someone's time than to work with them on distraction. Okay. Very cool, man. And uh, again, for context's sake, um, you're doing a lot of this stuff through very thoughtful, well-written emails that are prompting action. Correct. Right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and the, the, approach to like creating this cadence and maintaining it? It um, it
1: takes me about three days to write the email. <laughs> so I don't know if that's uh, if there's a, a lesson to be learned of that no, I think, um, I make myself read that email no less than fifteen to twenty times, just so I can say if I was a a person who's field based, you know, remote, Mm -hmm. and receives an email like that, what are they going to do? Are they going to put it in a file folder? Are they going to actually do something like what is going to actually make them uncomfortable? Realize that a change needs to happen, Mm -hmm. but also not be insulting, but also not sound like you're coming from a place of you know extreme authority or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a real challenge to work
0: on. One the pace, and then two the style. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if I'm going to reflect back to you, something that I've been observing, and also I'm hearing in this conversation, is you haven't arrived at a destination for yourself. Literally, as you're doing this, you're learning what it takes to demonstrate to people, "Hey, I'm still learning this myself." Absolutely. Like you're you've actually been evolving as a leader just in these past few months as you've been taking this on.
1: Yeah, and I think you know the the challenge is in. The, the leading, because, you know, your self-doubt is always going to be there, whether you're, you know, a leader or, or not, your self-doubt is always going to be there. When you're onto something new, you don't think about it as much. You know, mm-hmm. you're, um, you you believe in something and you see it engage with other people and that pushes that self-doubt further into a corner, further into a corner to where you just start to move at a, a better pace with a
0: better attitude. Mm-hmm. All right. So as you've been going down this specific path. Cause you've, you've demonstrated a lot of times that you're willing to learn while you're leading, but this is really specific cause you're in a much more, um, I'd say a, a bigger space of really letting people in. What have you learned about yourself as a person, as a leader that you didn't know a year ago? One is that when you're
1: leading too formally, um, you become disengaged, bored within yourself and, uh a less authentic version of yourself. And it almost takes a wake-up call to go back and say, who is that guy that just spoke? You know, what did I just see? Yeah. So when you get a new topic that you can genuinely get excited about, it invigorates the real you yeah. and it brings that to the forefront and you don't even have to work as hard at it. And that's been one of the great results I've seen for me.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, and I can say again from someone who's who's uh, been fortunate enough to spend time with you and your team, I have seen that Than any leader. I mean, you could be a leader in any industry, anywhere. It's really easy to fall into autopilot of just the functions of the job. Like Mm -hmm. we get targets, we've got budgets, you know, we got to do this thing here, we got to do that thing there. Just like you can fall into autopilot in your personal relationships, you can do it in your relationship with yourself as a leader. And it's been really cool to watch you, as you get into this space about a topic you care about, really commit to learning about it and pushing yourself. But also demonstrating that to people and it has like I've seen a change as you've been doing it. it's been like awesome and to be clear you were great before you were kicking butt before the team has like had record years like over and over again doing all of this cool stuff. But I've noticed this difference since you've been like really clearly demonstrating like I am doing this thing. Here's a gap that I realized I had I'm going to learn about it and I'd like everyone to come along with the journey. So. It sounds like you have learned something you didn't know about yourself a year before. Mm -hmm. But all of this work comes from somewhere. You know, like the reason that you're willing to go and push yourself and and learn and demonstrate this. Sure. So you as a professional, you as a leader, what's something that keeps you up at night? What are you worried about? What are you afraid of um, as becoming or having happened to you as a professional or a leader? The thing that keeps me up at night,
1: um, this is going to sound funny is what I call dinner table conversation. So for me, the thing that's always in the back of my mind as a leader is you're now dinner table conversation for every single person that you touch in that role. (laughs) Right, right. right. It's the scariest thing alive, it really is. And that means that that individual that works for you is gonna go home to their family, friends, whoever it is, and they're gonna talk about what they heard hopefully learned or think about you and overcoming that fear to still be effective. You know, it's, it's definitely self doubt played out in probably one of the worst ways, but overcoming that fear, but also having a healthy idea of, you know, what own, own the fact that your dinner table conversation now believe that you can do, you know, a lot with the opportunity to be a topic of dinner table conversations, a great honor. And, um, that's something that keeps me up really
0: all the time. Yeah. Cause you want to, like, you got to acknowledge like every leader, let's say you've got a hundred people that are, um, that your leadership is going to impact no matter what you're going to have people that are saying like, ah, this guy's terrible. doesn't know what he's doing. Da, da, da. But the goal is that, yeah, you're always going to have people like that. But if you yourself are pushing yourself as a leader, if you're willing to look at yourself in the mirror and really change and really focus on learning and demonstrating to people, you don't know at all, then Yeah, you're always going to be dinner table conversation, but you got to have faith that that conversation is about, wow, like this person is like really willing to learn. And if they're willing to do that, then I'm going to do that. Like that inspired me. That made me like take a second look at myself. That made me like push myself. It's also
1: about, not, yeah, it's about that. And it's about not wanting to let your people down, you know, taking an implied uh, accountability obligation, whatever you want to call it, to never letting your people down. And, you know, that doesn't mean that you accommodate every need that your people have you know one of the things that's unique about the dinner table mantra that I always kind of laugh about is I think part of leading and putting out something that's either edgy or new or aggressive is that the people you say it to may not see it right away but when they go home and have that dinner table conversation I'm betting that the other people at the table are like, well, it's probably good that they're hearing that. (laughs) You know, and that's one of the cool things about it. So
0: yeah, right on, man. So as we're starting to um, wrap up here, I want to get some thinking from you about what advice can we share with leaders at different stages of their career. So I want to start with where you're at now. And I'm pretty comfortable. We can say mid career, You're 15 years in and you've got a lot of runway ahead of you. So a lot of time to still grow, develop, like find who you're going to become as a leader in the future. So if you were thinking about other professionals like you across all sorts of industries, what advice would you give them about becoming very comfortable with demonstrating to others that, hey, I'm still learning and I'm leading? You need the ability to get feedback from
1: people who can give you a true sense of what your perception is. And if you don't have that, you need to seek that out because your, you know, performance and your words are only as good as the attitude and the actions behind it. And the perception of, you know, what you think exists is often very different than what
0: others may have. So if you don't have someone that's giving you that feedback, you're going to struggle. Okay, great. Uh, So let's go all the way over to senior leaders. So now we're looking at people who could be towards the, you know, like later career. Um, Maybe they have five years left. Maybe they have 10 years left in the workplace. Maybe they got two years left. What advice could you give them about being comfortable with learning while leading at these senior levels? I
1: think that as a tenured leader, you're more stigmatized than you are in almost any other position because everyone assumes these leadership figures to just, you know, know it all, been there, done that. And I think it's just an overlooked opportunity for those individuals to just go and have fun. The ability to connect and say, wow, so-and-so has been doing this for 20 years and can still, you know, take us in a totally new direction or something that we didn't even see coming is so impactful. And more often than not, um, people just take kind of the easy road or the straightforward road and kind of do the, you know, the basic black and white of,
0: of the business part. And they never really learn anything new at that point. Okay, cool. And of course we're going to start with like early career, right? So now we're thinking about yourself like 15 years ago or anyone on your team who's, who's early career, who maybe is getting to the first leadership position. I can already think of like one person off the top of my head of someone from your, from your team. Yeah. If you were in that space what advice would you give them about like, hey, this is a thing that you should get real comfortable with like early on is like you don't need to pretend like you know everything. What kind of advice would you give to the young professional who's in their first or second leadership role about really demonstrating and getting comfortable with learning while leading? That they need to brand what they do and be
1: really specific about it. So whether it's something that helps You know, remove obstacles in the workday for their team or a way that they earn trust or an attitude that they want the team to project. They need to brand that because building the identity of what they're doing is what helps to build trust. And that trust will then enable them to become greater leaders because they're obviously probably talented before they got there. But it's about connecting and building that trust that usually holds back the early leaders because they tend to either over-talk, want to do it all, support their people when, you know, they should be
0: managing them more aggressively. Okay. A uh, final question for you. And then of course, anything else that you want to add in at the end, what's the thing, the biggest, most important lesson that you've learned about yourself as a person, as you've been going through this process? That I need to be learning if I want to keep
1: the bad traits and the self doubt down, because I don't focus on it you can amplify your strengths way more than you can try to overmanage your weaknesses. Right on,
0: man. Thank you so much. So anything else you want to add in? No, this was a great time. I thank you for having me. All right, right on. So what I'd really encourage everyone who's listening here to consider is, you know, when we get into those first leadership roles or a second one or a third one, so if we're starting out or even if we're towards the end of the career, learning never ends. And I know that sounds like a little bit elementary, but think about it. Think about your life. We all fall into these rhythms, the places we eat, the places we go, the people we spend time with. Sometimes getting into that autopilot space and getting into that rut, we don't even realize it. And when we get into that rut, are we really bringing our best selves into every conversation, into every space? I'm not asking anyone to become a robot and only give the good stuff. But if I'm going to reflect back on something Mike shared, we stand a way better chance of bringing our best selves Into most situations when we're in a constant state of trying to grow and challenge ourselves. And growing and challenging ourselves means you got to hold up the mirror, you got to be vulnerable. If you, as a professional, have the ability to do that and then in an appropriate and healthy way share that with others and lead them through that process themselves, then you're not just getting business results, you're getting people results. And there's nothing more satisfying than when you're growing a business. You're really changing lives along the way. So thanks so much, Mike, for coming in. We really, really appreciate it. And Dave, drop the beat. You know, as I was having that conversation with Mike, I was reflecting on my first job as a leader. It was when I worked in the social services and I was a site supervisor. I was a terrible boss. (laughs) I was terrible. (laughs) And it was because A, I had had zero training. I had no idea how to be a boss. And B, I was young. I was insecure. I was afraid. And I felt I had to have all the answers. And it was real interesting because when people started reacting to me being a crappy boss, it didn't make me more open. I got more closed. I felt I have to work harder and I have to know all the answers and so I'd spend tons of time like studying and looking up policies and learning about things and I was trying to arm myself, arm myself with knowledge, facts, figures, policies. In reality, if I just geared back, listened a little bit more and demonstrated a real willingness to learn, I probably could have done a lot better at that job. In fact, it took me, you know, a couple of jobs to really get into a groove as being a leader. And, you know, even now I'm the CEO of a company and I am still learning every single day. I'm learning about the discipline of being a coach, uh, being a facilitator, but also being a leader and running a company every single day. I'd say a big difference between me now and when I was younger was that I really am openly letting people around me know that, hey, I don't have all the answers. I want to learn. I'd love to learn more from every single person I encounter. And something I'd encourage anyone listening to uh, this podcast is knowing it all isn't a good thing. It's kind of a bad position to be in. I would way rather be surrounded with people who are smarter than me, knew more than me, and have the opportunity to learn from them. And when you do that, they'll very likely be really happy to let you lead as long as you're leading. With both your heart and your mind. With that, uh, thanks so much for listening. It was a very, very fun episode, and I'll see you next time on One Step Beyond.